Thank you, preacher. Thank you so much. Very kind of you. Open your Bibles, the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 19. We're thankful for each of you that are in the service tonight, and this is a marvelous Monday night crowd. I'm very mindful that there's any number of places you could be on a Monday night, but here you are in the house of God with the people of God getting ready to hear the Word of God. And I hope that uh, the singing tonight and the fellowship, the preaching of the Bible, and the sweet presence of the Holy Ghost will be reason for you to come back and be with us tomorrow night as well. I appreciate uh, all that have provided the special music. I uh, appreciate what I call revival-friendly special music that I believe sets the stage for the preaching of the Word of God. Whenever someone says in my presence that singing is not all that important in the work of God, I realize I'm listening to someone who really doesn't know their Bible. Because you can't read very far and you can't read very long in the written voice of God without seeing the great import that God's placed upon the ministry of music. And so I appreciate the singing tonight that again I believe has set the stage for the preaching of the Word of God. As you're turning to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter number 19, let me make mention, and I appreciate uh, Brother Caldwell asking me if I'd say something about uh, our book table, brand new, uh, off the press of the Sword of the Lord, is our devotional, Neology. Now you've probably heard of theology, which is the study of the nature of God, but here is a brand new devotional that I deliberately entitled, Neology, the study of the nature of prayer. And what I do in this uh, 31-day devotional is uh, I make a statement about prayer. I give you a quote from one of the giants that are gone about that truth. I give you a Bible verse. Always good to have the Bible. I give you a Bible verse on that truth. And then uh, no more than three paragraphs. Some days just uh, one. Just one paragraph. <clears throat> just one paragraph, but no more than three, and I write on that thought. And uh, the idea behind uh, neology is to take all of our prayer lives to another level. Wouldn't you like to get the place in your Christian life where a sermon on prayer, a song on prayer, a scripture on prayer does not convict you? I'd like to get to that place where my prayer life wouldn't be, well, what it is today. And so, I believe it helped all of us in this matter of prayer. <coughs> the matter of prayer, and it's uh, new, and it's uh, entitled Neology. Also on the book table is the message, a pamphlet, Seven Reasons I Can't Become a Compromising Liberal. You're probably aware of the fact that we're living in a day that is literally drunk with drift, both politically <laughs> <clears throat> politically and spiritually. And so just uh, I took uh, my Bible and just uh, listed seven reasons I can't become a compromising liberal. Now I won't give you all seven because then you won't, you won't buy the pamphlet. But uh, I'll try to whet your appetite and give you just one. A reason that I can't become a compromising liberal is I don't look good in skinny jeans. <laughs> oh yeah, and 
which means there's more to come, a shirt that resembles a blouse. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's a reason I can't become a compromising liberal. And uh, brand new, uh, off of the presses of the sword of the Lord, and I so want you to get it. Uh, also new as well is uh, the book, Ask the Evangelist. And uh, this is a book that uh, for a whole year, if you follow me on uh, social media, for one year from March of 2018, week of my birthday, to March of 2019, the week of my birthday, every week on Wednesday, I would take and I would answer questions that were emailed or text message or a direct message on social media to me. And the whole time I was doing it, I knew, Brother Caldwell, that the sword of the Lord would be publishing it. And so uh, here is type uh, kind of like a, uh, oh, uh, internet uh, Q&A. And then I took all the questions and I put them in chapters. So there's a chapter on uh, my ministry. There's a chapter on ministry helps. There's a chapter on motivation. There's a chapter on major trends. Let's just go ahead and grab one out of major trends. What do you say? Uh, here's a question that uh, uh, came on, uh, uh, let's see here. It would be uh, July 27th, uh, 2018. And the question was, shouldn't the doctrine of separation be, be treated sometimes be treated sometimes as a marginal issue? That was the question. Here's my answer, never. Because God does not tell us in His Word to treat it as a marginal issue. Check out Jeremiah 10.2, Psalm 1.1, Amos 3.3, Romans 16.17, 2 Corinthians 6. 14 and 17, Ephesians 5.11. They are all still true. And so uh, questions like that. Let me, let me grab another one. Um, how about ministry helps? Uh, what would you say are the ABCs of preaching? That was a question that came on uh, December 26th, day after Christmas, 2018. And here's my answer. A, have an anointing from God. 1 John 2.20. B, have a Bible verse to preach, topical or expository, because both will certainly get the job done. 2 Timothy 4.2. C, have a, a combustion, Hebrews 1.7, then get up and just preach. And so uh, that's kind of the feel of it. Ask the evangelist, and uh, if you were to spend maybe a couple hours with me, no doubt many of the questions that you might want to ask have been asked in this book, and I believe it would be a great blessing to you, brand new, uh, off the press of the sword of the Lord, ask the evangelist. And then uh, one more thing as you're turning to Luke chapter number 19. Uh, a couple of years ago, my intimate friend, Dr. Shelton Smith, the editor of the sword of the Lord, asked me if I would write a book of advice, a pamphlet for young preachers. And I titled it, Maxims for Young Ministers. And I give... Uh, 31, what I call preacher proverbs, 31. I uh, make a statement, and then I give a Bible verse to back up that statement, and then uh, I write on that truth. For instance, number 18, a fundamental head and a non-fundamental heart live in the same huh, liberal body. Colossians 1.23, and then I write on that truth. 
Uh, for instance, uh, number 12, uh, don't try to act like you know everything. Be actively learning. And then I give a Bible verse for that, and then I write on that truth. I was preaching uh, not too far from here uh, in, uh, uh, let's see, it would have been in uh, uh, the state of Maryland, Frederick, Maryland, and one night a lady came to the book table and she had her teenage daughter with her and she said to her teenage daughter, tell Dr. Hamlin what number 24 is in maxims for young ministers. And the teenage girl, I mean that quick, quoted number 24. Now I'm glad that uh, she asked her to quote it because I wrote it and I don't think off the top of my head I could tell you what number 24 was. But the young lady stood there and said, winners are never whiners. And then her mother went on to tell me that uh, her daughter was homeschooled and she was complaining about her homework. And that day her mother made uh, the daughter write 300 times, winners are never whiners. Now that teenager absolutely hates my guts. And so uh, you don't have to be a young preacher to get a blessing out of it. Uh, it's Bible. So it's good for the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. As long as I can do it, I will throw in this little card, as long as I can do it with maxims, uh, secrets to the power of God. One of my heroes, Dr. Sammy Allen, came to hear me preach uh, in uh, Dalton, uh, Georgia, at the Deep Springs Baptist Church back in uh, February of 2017. And after the service, Dr. Allen and I got a meal together, and over that meal, I said to Sammy Allen, what would you say are the hidden truths or the secrets to the power of God? And I mean as quick as I can tell it, Dr. Sammy Allen made six quick statements. I took out a pen, a three-by-five card. I wrote those statements down just as he said them, got back to the motel room that night, put six Bible verses with them, and here it is, the secrets to the power of God. If anybody knows what the power of God is, I believe Dr. Sammy Allen does. And so I'll do that as long as I can. You can get the pamphlet and you can get a card as well. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 19. And I'll take but one verse of Scripture for our text, and it will be verse number 41. Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, and verse number 41. And I would invite you to stand with me as I read the Word of God. Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, and verse number 41. Years ago, uh, I attended a conference. I had just gotten saved and called to preach. And I went to a conference as a young preacher on a Monday night. Never forget it. And the main speaker got up and said, I quote, I hate Monday nights. That's what he said. If I'm lying, I'm frying. He said, I hate Monday nights. He said, you preach all day Sunday and then you travel, and then you preach again Monday night. And he said, I hate Monday nights. And uh, he went on to tell the crowd that he always put it in cruise on Monday night. I must have, Brother Caldwell, telegraphed my disapproval of that statement because the preacher then said, some of you young preachers, you'll get to the place where you cruise on Monday night as well. Well, I have to be very transparent in telling you that I'm a little bit tired, but uh, the preacher was so kind, and on the way to the service tonight, we stopped at a gas station. I got an energy drink. It's called Let It Rip. 
I drank every drop, and now I don't give a rip. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 19. And I'll take but one verse of Scripture for our text, verse number 41. In that service I promised the Lord if I ever got to preach on a Monday night anywhere, I would preach harder on Monday night than I did Sunday morning or Sunday night. Now aren't you glad you came tonight? Gospel of Luke chapter 19, verse number 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. For a few moments I want to speak to you on the subject tonight, but who weeps over our city? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this privilege to stand behind a sacred desk to preach the Word of God. If in my heart I want to be a blessing, but the only way that I can be is if you hide me behind the cross and fill me with the Spirit, place a hedge around this, great church, by the blood of Christ, to keep the devil and his demons from hindering this service. Save the sinner and stir the saint. Heavenly Father, for all that you'll do in our midst and even in our hearts tonight, we will be careful to give you all the praise and honor and glory. Bless and protect my precious family as I am away. Give us fresh warm bread from the oven of heaven to feed from tonight. Lord, I'd request, oh, how I would request that you'd clothe me in my calling. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. There was a day in the not so distant past when all the way from the curbside bum to the corporate businessman knew that there was one place in every urban center that showed unique compassion and it was down at the Bible-believing church. A burden for those who know not God is still the number one aspiration for one who wants to be just like God's darling son. Because of the present callousness of the church, uh, crime is prevalent in America's asphalt jungles. While the whole time uh, the church is cemented in jarring apathy. But who weeps over our city? In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, we find the lovely Lord Jesus Christ weeps over Jerusalem. Now this chapter could be easily or effortlessly outlined like this. The day of salvation, verses 1 through 10. The day of evaluation, verses 11 through 27. And then the day of visitation, Verses 28 through 43. It is well the physician Luke is dealing under the direct inspiration 
of the Holy Spirit with the day of visitation that a person sees the sad Savior. Verse 41, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. The sister verse of Luke 19, 41 is Isaiah 53, 3. And as you've heard me say any number of times in any number of meetings, every verse in the Bible has what I call a sister verse. And often that sister verse throws more light upon the verse that you're musing, meditating, or making a study of. Again, the sister verse of Luke 19, 41 is Isaiah 53, 3. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Dr. R.G. Lee, that great preacher of yesteryear. Dr. Lee was an orator. He had what I call, Brother Caldwell Sr., the ability of playing marbles on the coattails of comets. Dr. R.G. Lee once said about our text, Who weeps now over the multitudes misled and unled, who reject the Savior, who approaches them with the medicine to heal wounds, with pity and power to forgive sins, with love to redeem the life. The estimated population, oh, of the city of Jerusalem at this time uh, was 40,000. It is estimated that some 40,000 people lived within the city limits of Jerusalem during the earthly ministry of Christ. That means that there are at least 40,000 tears that are there wrapped up in a single scripture. You take our text of Luke 19 and 41 and you ring it out and I believe there are at least 40,000 tears in that single scripture because Jesus shed at least one tear for every sinner that was in Jerusalem at that time. Never forget your city. Does it need a new drinking fountain or the old one painted with a fresh coat of green paint at the park? But a broken-hearted believer who weeps over every lost soul within your city limits. Now, if you miss everything that I preach tonight, I pray that you would not miss that. And it even bears repeating your city. For me, it is Canton, Michigan. For you, it may be Martinsburg, uh, West Virginia. Your city, your city, your city doesn't need a new drinking fountain or the old one painted with a fresh coat of green paint at the park, but a broken-hearted believer who weeps over every lost soul within your city limits. Friend, you and I, those of us that are saved, need to shed a tear over sinners in our society. Why, if Jesus was broken for sinners, then I should be broken for sinners. If Jesus was broken for sinners, then you should be broken for sinners. If Jesus was broken for sinners, then all of us should be broken for sinners as well. Quickly tonight, there are three obvious reasons why the believers should weep over their city. And they're all found here in Luke chapter 19. Let's quickly notice it tonight. You may want to take out a, a pencil 
uh, and somewhere in your Bibles, scratch these things down. But my, how it would be far better if God were to take an eternal and write these things upon my heart and upon your heart as well. But who weeps over our city? Number one, the blindness of our cities. Verse 42, saying, If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. An obvious reason why the believer should weep over their city is because of the blindness of our cities. In verse 42, the physician Luke tells us that because of Jerusalem's blatant rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, they receive biblical blindness. Dr. John R. Rice once wrote about this scene in the scriptures. Jerusalem had missed her opportunity. She had missed the things which belong under thy peace. Had Jerusalem with its leaders joyfully received the Savior, we have reason to believe that the awful destruction under Titus in A.D. 70 would have been, Dr. Rice wrote, avoided. Self-inflicted spiritual blindness in the light of eternity is far worse than physical blindness because of this staggering sin, a majority of those in Jerusalem would never sing the hymn, Open mine eyes that I may see. Glimpses of truth thou hast from me. Place in my hand that wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Breaking news, it was the devil's dirty back alley business then just as it's the devil's dirty back alley business now to there pluck out the spiritual eyes of all those who would see salvation in the Savior of the world. Friend, you and I need to shed a tear over the lost within our city limits because of the blindness of our cities. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Why, just for the call, well, in my own city, just in Canton, Michigan, where Mrs. Hamblin and I live, within one mile of our home is a Hindu temple. Oh, hear me tonight. <clears throat> I'm not talking about a third world country. I'm not talking about uh, a, a land that is hundreds of thousands of miles from America. But I'm talking about in Canton, Michigan, outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan, within one mile of where the Hamlin family lives, there is a Hindu temple. The simple fact that there can be found within this area code. Rosary beads. Parrot cards. Muslim prayer rugs. Confessional booths. Watchtower magazines. 
kingdom halls, Mormon wards, bingo halls, uh, and beer tents uh, on so-called, somebody help me preach tonight, church properties uh, and uh, 10,000 other things that openly spit on Bible salvation through the blood of the blessed Son of God surely prove that there are many uh, that are spiritually blind as a stone within a rock's throw of this church's steeple. Oh, if Jesus had a burden for the lost, then I should have a burden for the lost. If Jesus had a burden for the lost, then you should have a burden for the lost. If Jesus had a burden for the lost, then all of us tonight should have a burden for the lost as well. The hymn writer Fanny Crosby Gave us more than 8,000 gospel songs. Brother Brady, you'll find it interesting that Fanny Crosby, I read once, had 500, at least 500 different pen names. Someone asked her one time, why do you have all those pen names? And Fanny Crosby simply said, well, because I don't want the church to think that I'm the only one that God's giving hymns to. That's what Fanny Crosby said. Now, I've got to tell you that she's far better a Christian than I'd ever dreamed to be. Because if I wrote a hymn, you better believe I'd have my name plastered all over it. (laughs) I have the privilege of serving on the board of the Sword of the Lord and have for 25 years now. And I understand that we're getting ready to publish a new hymn book. And I'm not crowing, but I've submitted my uh, hymn. It goes something like this. You may think that you're hot snot on a silver platter, but you're just a cold booger on a paper plate. (laughs) I got my fingers crossed that they're going to publish that hymn. Brother Brady, God bless you. You're not the only one that can write songs. God bless you, sir. Fanny Crosby gave us more than 8,000 gospel songs. Although blinded at at the age of six weeks, she never held any bitterness in her heart because of it. Once a preacher sympathetically remarked, I think it is a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. She replied quickly, you know that if at birth I'd been able to make one petition, it would have been that I should be born blind. Why ask the surprised, the surprised clergyman? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that I shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Hey, did I mention that being (coughs) spiritually unaware and unknowing is far more serious than to be physically unaware and unknowing. We should weep for our cities because of the blindness of our cities. Number two, let me hasten still. In Luke chapter number 19, the battle of our cities. Look at it. Verse 43, for the days shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee in on every side. 
An obvious reason why the believers should weep uh, over their city is because of the battle of our cities. In verse 43, the physician Luke tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ gave uh, a solemn preview, oh my, of coming attractions as the Roman Empire would severely persecute uh, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You see, the city would be absolutely razed and it would be literally ruined. No wonder Jesus wept. No wonder as he looked over Jerusalem, his heart broke. No wonder if there was the estimate of 40,000 people that lived within the city limits of Jerusalem in the day of Jesus, then for every single person he shed at least one tear. An unknown poet put it best when he Simply penned, did Christ or sinners weep? And shall our cheeks be dry? Let floods of penitential grief burst forth from every eye. Friend, you and I need to shed a tear over the lost within our city limits because of the battle of our cities. Now quickly tonight, there are several hot conflicts that are going on in this crucial hour. And it may shock you, stun you, and even surprise you, but first of all, the depravity of the country. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Oh, a hot conflict that's going on in this crucial hour is that the depravity of the country. Can I go ahead and preach sins that were once in the closet, hear me and hear me well, are now the same sins that are celebrated and congratulated and even given the ski to the city hall. Now, if you have a dollar... One dollar for every gender that God has made. If you have one dollar in your hand for every gender God has made. Let me help you with something. You got two dollars. And if you have more than two dollars, then you got some monopoly money mixed in with real money. You got some funny money, uh, pun intended, mixed in with real currency. God only made two genders. God only made a male and a female. Youth director's wife got mad and she's walking out. God bless you, sis. <laughs> that or she's going for a cigarette, either one. God bless you. The depravity. What a terrible time to pick to get up and leave. The depravity of the country. <laughs> Around Christmas time, uh, Brother Youth Director, uh, I, I run my meetings literally right up to Christmas. And I take a big Christmas break. It's the largest break that I have in the year. And boy, we love Christmas in our house. And, and let me just say in passing, if, if you're an Ebenezer Scrooge and if you're one of them Christians that, that hate Christmas, Please don't, don't share that at the book table because I, I just may stick a candy cane up your nose and, and whistle jingle bells while I'm doing it. <laughs> but we love Christmas at our house. We love it. And uh, I run my meetings literally right up to Christmas and then I have a great big, uh, must have been a short cigarette, she's back already. Uh, I run my meetings, uh, and by the way, it's them little cigarettes that'll get you really in trouble. 
give you the munchies, but back to the sermon. Um, <laughs> I'm sure a medical reason, sis, I understand. I'm, sh- I'm sure. But I, I run my meetings uh, right, right up to Christmas, and then I take a Christmas break. And I, I happen to notice on social media, and I'm not one of these preachers that calls names in the pulpit. I don't, I don't do that. So you come to the book table, and I'll tell you that I was talking about the Mattel toy company. I won't do it now, but you come to the book table, I'll tell you it was the Mattel toy company. And I'd seen on social media where the Mattel toy company was getting ready around Christmas to make a transgender doll. Now, I'm a grandfather. And I sent word to my children who have given us grandchildren. And Mark Twain was right when he said, grandchildren are the blessing you receive for not killing your children. I believe I got a witness right there. I believe I got a witness. And I sent word to our family. I just simply said, if you think, and they weren't thinking about it, but I just felt like saying it, if you think that our four grandchildren are ever going to have a transgender doll, hell will host the Winter Olympics before that happens. The depravity of the country. You realize, preachers, there's things that we preach against today that D.L. Moody never dreamed you'd preach against. There's things that we preach against. I started to say Lester Roloff, but he preached against everything, so let me use somebody else. There are things that my mentor, Dr. Tom Malone, would never even dream that we have to preach against. Things aren't getting any better. Things are getting a whole lot worse. And the young people in our fundamental churches, they need to hear some man of God take a Bible verse and absolutely thunder against that which is Popular in our country. I was going to catch a flight several years ago. Mrs. Hamlin happened to be with me. And uh, we were in Greensboro, North Carolina. I had preached in the National Sword of the Lord Conference. We were flying home. I was flying to my next meeting. And as Mrs. Hamlin and I sat at the gate, we watched a man come out of the men's restroom in a skirt. If I'm lying, I'm frying in a skirt. And I said to Mrs. Hamlin, I said, now, this is what burdens me. Somebody like that would never dream to mess with me. But it's somebody like that that's going to try to influence, that's going to try to poison, that's going to try to wickedly indoctrinate our grandchildren with all that that is wicked that is godless, that is absolutely beyond vile. And by the way, maybe if years ago we would have got women to wear dresses, we wouldn't be having men trying to wear dresses now. Don't bow your head, I'm not closing in prayer. Love that energy drink. It was awesome, I loved it. The depravity, the depravity of the country. One of my Timothys called me the other day, Dr. Jason Godsey. He said, Dr. Hamlin, you're not going to believe it. He said, just got a phone call from a preacher in our state, and I'll be a little bit vague in my telling of this, and you'll understand why in a moment. 
He said, you're not going to believe this. He said, a preacher in our state, in the state of Michigan, just called me. He's a graduate of a Bible college, not a fundamental Bible college, not one that I'd send a dog to. And by the way, the, my list of colleges that I don't, that I don't recommend is, is longer than the colleges I do recommend. And this would be one on the list that I don't recommend. And uh, he said, this fellow's a graduate of, of such and such college, and he just called me, and he said, uh, uh, Dr. Godsey, don't you think uh, that we ought to be a little bit more compassionate and have in our fundamental churches uh, a restroom for those people who don't know what restroom to use? And my Timothy laughed and said, okay, what's the punchline? And the preacher said, I quote, no punchline, I'm serious. To which my Timothy said, I've got three girls. You let somebody like that try to slip into the bathroom with them at my church. He said, we'll be making a special bathroom. It'll be a handicapped bathroom. Some of you look like you're having a little bit of a problem. Uh, I think maybe that uh, corona flu has slipped into the service. I'm not sure. The depravity of the country. Secondly, I've got to hasten, and I can tell you're about at your limit. The deadness of the church. Revelation 3, 2, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. A hot conflict uh, that's going on in this crucial hour is the deadness of the church. Uh, some assemblies uh, are so corpse-like, if the Holy Ghost ever did show up, the ushers would give him a first-time visitor's card. That's a hot conflict that's going on in this crucial hour. The deadness of the church from the most exciting place uh, this side of heaven ought to be the house of God where the people of God hear the word of God. It should resemble a mausoleum. It should resemble a municipal library. It should resemble a morgue. <laughs> the deadness of the church. I was preaching for a fellow years and years ago. He's now in heaven. And the special music had gotten done, preacher, and he leaned over, the people had clapped. And he leaned over on the platform and he whispered, Dr. Hamlin, does it bother you when people clap in church? I said, no, sir, I'm happy for any noise in church. I said, in fact, if somebody burps, as long as it's in the right place, I'm happy for any kind of noise in church. The deadness of the church. Thirdly, the drift of the clergy. Jeremiah 6, 16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where's the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. A hot conflict uh, that's going on in this crucial hour is the drift of the clergy. The we will not walk therein, reverend crowd, uh, are those who by their dress, uh, their deportment, and their direction are 110% against old time religion. Now here's a reason I emphasize old time religion. I have four grandchildren. I mentioned that already. And one day, if the Lord stays this coming, they'll all be gone. And when their papa passes off the scene, 
I want my four grandchildren to have a church that does not resemble a nightclub. I want my four grandchildren to have a preacher that doesn't look like a reject from a boy band. This skinny suit wearing crowd. Let me, let me let you in on something. There's going to come a time when Father Time body slams you and the days of skinny suits will be forever over. Weed eater haircuts. Somebody help me preach tonight. He said, well, I'm not coming back. That's all right, sweetheart. I'll pluck your tail feathers while you're here. Weed eater haircuts. I, I mean, you, you couldn't get them to carry a Bible to the pulpit. They'll carry an I this, I that, and I the whatever. But you, you can't get them to carry a Bible. And by the way, when you're holding a Bible, I know it's a Bible. The preacher knows it's a Bible. If you're looking at your phone, you could be text messaging your girlfriend. I don't know what you're doing. But when you got a Bible open, we know it's the Bible. I remember when all preachers preached like this. On Mother's Day. The reason that I emphasize old-time religion is because one day I'm going to be gone and I want my four grandchildren to have a church that doesn't resemble a nightclub and a preacher that doesn't resemble a reject from a boy band and a faith that doesn't resemble some shallow marketing slogan. The drift of the clergy. All that every believer that is in this service would realize that the hot conflicts uh, that are going on in this crucial hour. By the way, if I'm facing surgery, I don't want uh, uh, the surgeon to come be bopping in uh, with his uh, skinny little uh, uh, outfit uh, and his weed eater haircut uh, and carrying his little iPad when I'm going to surgery. How in a sense he's serious. I want to sense he knows what he's about to do. I want to sense that he understands the importance of the moment and friend would to God that the people of God would get back to wanting a preacher that looks like a preacher. We got these Joel Osteen wannabes that are trying to hijack our fundamental movement. We've got these uh, Rick Warren wannabes that are trying to hijack our fundamental movement. But the ones that really irritate me, preacher, are these uh, uh, Richard Simmons wannabes that are trying to hijack our fundamental movement. Hey, I got an idea. Let's stick with the King James Bible. I've got an idea. Let's go ahead and look like men of God. I've got an idea. Let's go ahead and carry gospel tracks. Hey, if we had a track check right now, I wonder who'd get caught without one. I'm reaching in my pocket for one. <laughs> I hit a pack of cigarettes. So song leaders, he asked me to hold him for him while he led singing tonight. But I wonder, I, I wonder if we had a track check tonight, I wonder who'd get caught without one. I remember when carrying tracks, call me a dinosaur, call me a caveman, but I remember, call me stuck in time. Really, I'm stuck in truth, but call me whatever you want. But I remember 
when preachers carried gospel tracts. I remember that. I tell young preachers all the time, preacher, don't, don't, I'm not concerned with the handkerchief in the outside coat pocket. That's fine. But for young preachers, wait on that. Get the gospel tracts in the inside coat pocket. That's what's going to impress me. And then if you want to make a handkerchief out of tracks for the outside, go ahead. You'll look like a nerd, but go ahead. I, I remember when everybody, oh my goodness, knew what a personal worker's New Testament is. Amen. I remember that. And I remember that uh, you were always excited when you got yours to look like Noah owned it. Yeah. <laughs> Am I telling it right, sis? And now, well, we're going we're, we're to make it a connect at a coffee shop. Puke. 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 If it takes you seven coffee shops appointments with somebody to get them to Jesus, excuse me while I preach for a moment, you're a sorry soul winner. Amen. And you're not trying to get them to Jesus anyhow, you're trying to draw them to yourself. This is such good preaching. I can't wait to get back to the motel room, pull out that Bible, that Gideon Bible on the nightstand, and sign it three times. <laughs> The drift of the clergy. You know, if we get any more casual than what we are, people are going to start showing up in, to church in pajamas. And if the pulpit is casual, if the pulpit's casual, what's the pew going to look like? No preacher has any business complaining about the carnality of the pew this got tweet written all over it, preacher. Amen. I hope you're paying attention. The carnality of the pew when the pulpit is casual. Yeah. Preacher's looking like they just got off a Caribbean cruise. Preacher's looking like they just got off a golf course. Whatever happened to the seriousness of the office? I can't tell you the times I'll be on a flight late on a Saturday night and flight attendant will come and say, may I ask you a Bible question? I say, absolutely. And I'll get my briefcase out and I'll take out my Bible and they'll sit down next to me and they'll ask the question and whatever the preacher, whatever the question is, I first always try to get them to Calvary. Because you're not going to understand the Bible till you know the author personally. And so many times I've had the joy of leading a flight attendant to Christ. And then I'll say, now, now what about that question? And I'll say, oh, it's not that important anyhow. <laughs> and I have, I'll have a flight attendant say, may I ask you a question about the Bible? Absolutely. And I'll pull my Bible out and they'll sit down and I'll try to answer that question, try to get them to Calvary first and then answer their question. And they'll thank me and they'll go to get up. And I'll say, now, wait a minute, hold it. I got a question for you. And I'll say, why would you ask me a Bible question? And it's almost like they get insulted. And they'll say something like, well, can't you ask a preacher a Bible question? To which I reply, how do you know I'm a preacher? Yeah. 
And they'll say, because you look like a preacher. Amen. I don't get on the plane, start passing out business cards. I don't get on the plane and get the PA and say, attention, 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 seat to see a preacher sitting there. No, I find my seat, I sit down, I pray for three things. A swift flight, a smooth flight, a safe flight. I pray those three things. Smooth, swift, safe. That's what I pray. By the way, I can't tell you the times I'll be at the gate and uh, the ticket agent will announce uh, we've got some engine problem. And, and, and you ought to see people act a fool all around that gate. I mean, cuss, get mad, act a fool. And, and I've got to tell you, I would much rather hear about an engine problem on the ground yeah. than a wood up in the air. So it never bothers me when they say we've got engine trouble. Never bothers As long as we're on the ground, that's where I want to hear that announcement. But I'll see them. Now, how, how did you know I was a preacher? They'll see you just look like a preacher. Now, if a fireman looks like a fireman, stay with me, and a policeman looks like a policeman, and a dentist looks like a dentist, and a football coach looks like a football coach, and a politician <laughs> looks like a crook, then a preacher, <laughs> make America great again, a preacher ought to look like a preacher. And there's a hot conflict uh, that's going on this crucial hour. Uh, it is uh, uh, the depravity of the country. Uh, it is the deadness of the church. Uh, and it is the drift of the clergy. During the Korean conflict, the 1st Marine Division was totally surrounded by Chinese and North Koreans at the Chosen Reservoir. They were outnumbered at least by 8 to 1. Some saw a crisis but their commander, Chesty Puller, didn't. He quickly sized up the situation and hollered out to his men who are under Brother Caldwell, withering enemy fire. All right, they're on our left. They're on our right. They're in front of us. They're behind us. They can't get away this time. Hey, child of God, I've come to this pulpit to say, like Lieutenant General Chesty Puller, uh, in this spiritual warfare in our own area, they're on our left, they're on our right, they're in front of us, they're behind us, so listen carefully, they can't get away this time. The battle of our cities. <clears throat> and number three, and last of all, my time is gone. Not only... The blindness of our cities and the battle of our cities. But number three, and last of all, the blessing of our cities. Oh, I was looking forward to this third point since the Lord laid the message on my heart. Verse 44, and they shall lay thee even with the ground <coughs> and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. An obvious reason why the believer should weep over their city is because of the blessing of our cities. In verse 44, the physician Luke tells us that because of Jerusalem's failure of recognizing the Lord Jesus Christ's presence, uh, they would be seen firsthand far-reaching serious punishment. One Bible student said of this uh, spot in the Scriptures, they had no room for him in their scheme 
of things. But a person must not miss what I call a golden nugget of truth from the gold mine of God's word. While most missed who was in their city, many still knew who would be found down at the temple. And they were waiting with genuine bated breath for his wonderful words. Look at verse 48. And all the people were very attentive to hear him. You say, now wait a minute, Dr. Hamlin, you said there was blindness, there is. Uh, You said there's a battle, there is. But there's more, there's blessing. There's more, there's blessing. There's more, there's blessing. Would you circle verse number 48? Would you highlight verse 48? Would you box verse 48? Oh my, the Bible says, and could not find uh, that they might... uh, do for all the people were very attentive to hear him. That means the place was jam-packed. They had a big day. They broke a record attendance. They saw people saved. See, if we're not careful, we'll let the negativity of the press, if we're not careful, we'll let the fatalism of the brethren, if we're not careful, we'll let the sinful society rob of us of our faith and our dependence and in our trust. Yes, there's blindness and yes, there's battle, but, but wait a minute, there's also blessing because there still are people that are waiting to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're at your church. And they're in this church. And so what we need to do is we just need to be on a mission. What we need to do is just be determined. What we need to do is just absolutely uh, be in a mindset uh, that we're not going to let the blindness uh, and we're not going to let the battle, oh my, keep us uh, from realizing and reaching the blessing of seeing a bunch of people saved. Sometimes someone will say to me, well, Dr. Hamlin, don't you know this is the last days? Now, when someone says that, their Bible ignorance is hanging out. And they ought to go to the bathroom and tuck it back in. Acts chapter 2, the last days starts with 3,000 people saved, baptized, and added to the infant church. That's how it started. Whatever happened to believing God for great things? Whatever happened to turning off even Fox News? Don't you don't get your inspiration from Fox News? Get your inspiration from Heaven's Headline. That's where we get our inspiration. That's where we get our instruction. You listen to Fox News, even Fox News, you'll think it's the end of the world five minutes ago. And by the way, have you ever watched it? How they lead you along to the next segment? Hello? Now some of you breathe in, breathe out. Are you an audience or a painting of an audience? Blink or breathe. Do something, please. They lead you on to the next segment, to the next segment, to the next segment. All of a sudden you're behind your Bible reading. All of a sudden you're taking the shoelaces out of your shoes uh, to hang yourself on the edge of the pew. Whatever happened to 
trusting God. Whatever happened to realizing if, if Jesus, in spite of their blindness and in spite of the battle, if Jesus still had a full house to preach to, then that means I can have full house to preach to. You can have full house to preach to. You can have a full house to preach to. We all can have a full house to preach to because there's still the blessing of the cities. The Bible says in Psalm 126, 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Last week I started a revival meeting in Swanton, Ohio. Never been to Swanton, Ohio before in my life, first time. And uh, started that revival meeting a week ago yesterday. We had a man by the name of Toby, 58 years of age, saved. Watch this preacher. Four years ago, somebody from the Swanton Baptist Church knocked on his door and put a gospel track in his door. He showed up four years later, got saved. Came back Tuesday night. Preacher texted me late last night when I got back to the motel room. His name was Troy. He said, Preacher Troy was in church today and he brought a visitor. The blessing, the blessing, the blessing of our our cities. Years ago we wrote a gospel track, uh, God has a gift for you. And uh, one day at our home church, the Charity Baptist Church in Brownstown, Michigan, between Sunday school and the morning service, a fellow during Sunday school, first time visitor, sat in the second row, and he held, uh, sis, all through Sunday school, held that gospel track in his hand, just sat there and held it. Had no Bible, just holding that gospel track. When Sunday school was over, he went to our pastor, and he said, I work for Ford Motor Company. He said, when I got back from lunch, he said, this, this right here was on my workstation, and he said, I believe it's a message from God, and I'm here to get my message. Amen. Amen. <laughs> You know what happened. He got saved. And for many years, sat on that second row. Sure, there's blindness. Sure, there's battle. But don't stop there. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going because you know what? You're going to run into blessing. I'm closing with this. I'm out like Rosie O'Donnell in beauty contest. Oh, God wasn't in that, but, but it was hilarious. It, it really was. It really was. Years ago, I was preaching in a camp meeting at the Victory Baptist Church in Rossville, Georgia. And that camp meeting has, has the reputation of being the oldest camp meeting in all the state of Georgia. And you can imagine there are two or three camp meetings in Georgia and this one is the oldest. It, uh, they call it the uh, Caldwell Senior, the grandfather of all independent fundamental camp meetings in the state of Georgia. All of our heroes, all of the giants that are gone, they all preached in that camp meeting through the years. I go every year, I preach Sunday morning, preach Sunday night, preach Monday night, and then I go on to my next meeting. On Sunday night, after I'd preached, the pastor, dear friend, Dr. Ernest Gross, said, uh, Dr. Hamlin, I'm going to come by your motel room early tomorrow morning. He said, there's somewhere that I want to take you that uh, I believe you'd really be interested in, and uh, I'll pick you up for breakfast, and then I'll take you to what I want to show you, and then I'll get you back to the room enough time you can get ready to preach tomorrow night. 
I said, great, sounds good, preacher. Uh, the next morning he came by the motel, he picked me up, and uh, we went and got breakfast. And then he took me, uh, Rossville and Chattanooga, you may or may not know this, are right next to each other. In fact, you can go out of Chattanooga into Rossville and not know it. You can go out of Rossville into Chattanooga and not know it. I mean, they're, they're, they're uh, sister cities. They're right next to each other. And so within a couple of minutes, we were in Chattanooga and we were on Missionary Ridge. And we stopped at, uh, I want to say it was uh, 48, Shallowford Road. I know it was Shallowford Road, but we stopped at that house and it was up on Missionary Ridge and uh, we uh, pulled into the small, very small driveway and the preacher led me in a back door and they happened to be uh, uh, refurnishing uh, the house and uh, they were gutting it uh, before they uh, were to uh, refurnish it and we went in a side door and went up a, a back stairway and, and went into a little room and that room overlooked uh, uh, Chattanooga and it had a large... I'll never forget it, had a large window. I'm talking from uh, a floor to ceiling, ceiling to floor, wall to wall. And as we stood in that little room, Dr. Ernest Gross said, Dr. Hamlin, you'll find it interesting. We are in the home of Dr. Lee Robertson. He said, this is where Dr. and Mrs. Robertson lived the whole time Dr. Robertson was in Chattanooga. Dr. Robertson had uh, pastored uh, for uh, many years, the Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga. In fact, he pastored for, uh, I think it was 40 years, six months, something like that. And, and he started the uh, uh, Tennessee Temple University, and its moniker was distinctively Christian. It was a, a Christian uh, a fundamental uh, uh, university. And uh, Dr. Robertson, he was called the Charles Haddon Spurgeon of his day. He was called Velvet Steel. One of his nicknames. Dr. Robertson, when he was at Highland Park, ran 9,000 to 10,000 every week of the world. 9,000 to 10,000 every week of the world. And here we were, Brother Brady, in Dr. Robertson's study. Large window overlooked Chattanooga. As I stood there, preacher, I couldn't help but think the times that Dr. Lee Robertson stood there. Dr. Robertson always wore a double-breasted suit. Always wore a double-breasted suit. Great men of God always wear double-breasted suits. I can imagine in my mind's eye, that's better than you're letting on. I can imagine in my mind's eye as Dr. Robertson stood there at that window in his study that overlooked the city of Chattanooga. I could imagine as he stood there many, many, many times with tears, but Caldwell streaming down his cheeks. For God had used Dr. Lee Robertson to capture Chattanooga for Christ. What a privilege to be in his home. I probably ought to tell you that there are two workmen there that day. And, and Dr. Ernest Gross, he, he tried to win one workman to Christ, and he was not interested. And I tried to win another workman to Christ, but... Preacher, he was already saved. And the one that I dealt with, he said, I know the Lord. I said, well, well, tell me about it. He said, oh, he said, I'll never forget it. He said, I was a little boy. And he said that there was this bus that, there was this bus. He said, I'm waiting for you to kick in. He said, there was this bus 
that came down our street as a little boy and he said, I got on that bus and they took me out to Camp Joy and he said, I was at Camp Joy. I, I received Christ as my Savior. He said, preacher, you don't have to worry about me. I know I'm saved. I said, sir, do you know whose home this used to be? He said, I have no idea who lived here. I said, oh, just the preacher who sent that bus down your street that picked you up that took you out to that camp that he started, Camp Joy, that he had named after his daughter. That's whose home that you're working on is the preacher who was instrumental in seeing you saved. The blessing of our cities. What, What a revival we'd have if we would understand that Christianity, New Testament Christianity, only works with compassion and convictions. Compassion and convictions. If you just have convictions, it doesn't work. If you just have compassion, it doesn't work. It's the balance of convictions and compassion. New Testament Christianity that still works. But who weeps over our city? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.